Okay, um, hello everyone. Uh, my name's uh, Rana Mitter and uh, I teach the history and the politics of modern China here at the, uh, the university. And um, I'm going to ask first of all if there's anybody in the room who was watching local television news in the southwestern Chinese city of Chongqing in early December. I'm shocked to see that not a single hand has gone up in the, the room. I don't know what kind of audience I'm dealing with here. Well, I'll have to fill you in in that case. Had you been watching the evening news that night, you would have seen, I think, a rather interesting item on the news. One was one of the uh, local uh, ministers involved with education, um, helping to uh, publicise a particular document. And the other person uh, was one of our own researchers here at Oxford University, uh, Dr Annie Nye, who works on a project funded by the Leverhulme Trust, uh, which um, I run, which is on the subject of China's World War II experience and its later legacy. Now, this particular project might sound like something that is rather historical, rather perhaps um, kind of backward-looking in terms of its interests. But in fact, I think, in a very unexpected way, it's proved one of the ways in which cultural heritage can be rediscovered in some very unusual places, and that Oxford has a particular role in helping to bring that restoration and understanding and enjoyment of the heritage together in a particular way. Because rather to our own surprise as researchers within this project, which has been running for the last five years here in Oxford, we are now taking part in this particular city, Chongqing's own discovery of its recent past and its expression of that discovery through museums, through archives, and even through aspects of public art and performance. And as I speak a little bit more about that and its wider context, I will point out that I did mention that this was a local television report on which our Oxford researcher and our Chongqing um, official and historian met. And that might sound like a rather small and tiny piece of publicity. But I would point out that a local television show in a Chinese city of this sort would generally have a potential viewership of around 30 million people, which is about half the population of this entire country, and therefore perhaps not to be sniffed at. This particular project deals with the period in the 1930s and 40s when China went to war with Japan, between 1937 and 45, what we tend to know in the rest of the world as the Second World War. And anyone who looks at contemporary politics will know that across the Sea of Japan and the South China Seas, many of the unfinished pieces of business of this period still have resonance. But I don't want to talk about that political international relations side of things today. Instead, I want to concentrate on something which relates much more to the idea of heritage. Because to put it very briefly, for a very long time, for decades actually, through most of the Cold War, the Chinese really didn't pay any attention to the fact that this city, Chongqing, was actually the temporary capital of China during the wartime period. It was the site of resistance against the Japanese during the war. It was a major international city. The British, the Americans, all sorts of other countries had embassies, military presences and um, engagement there. And it was also an important cultural center. Some of China's finest writers, artists, uh, academics and others were based there and in the region. And it's only in recent years, for reasons to do with changes in Chinese politics, that local authorities have begun to rediscover and celebrate that history in a variety of ways. 
And therefore the fact that we here in Oxford have for some years been running a research project based on the history of that period has enabled them to actually prioritise the importance of that heritage within China itself. This might sound paradoxical, but of course it's a, a signal reminder that a major international university such as Oxford can in and of itself, through its interest, play an important role in letting people rediscover their own history. To put it most simply, our ability to internationalise this project, to talk about Chongqing, the city's wartime history, not just as a story to do with a small, now actually quite big, relatively unknown uh, Chinese city, but rather as part of a global story in which everything from uh, uh, pieces of, uh, um, uh, of wartime uh, soldiers' uniforms or um, uh, ID cards um, linked with a much wider idea of what was destroyed and lost and then recovered after the war was over have become part of this narrative. And therefore, Oxford is in that sense taking a rather direct role, although a fully cooperative one, in terms of helping to create a new idea of how China in the early 21st century is rediscovering its 20th century past. That's a slightly unusual example, but I wish to bring it forward because it sits as part of a wider spectrum, I think, of the way in which Oxford plays and has played for decades and indeed centuries a role in the preservation and promotion of China's cultural heritage. Uh, examples of this abound in the Ashmolean Museum. In just a month's time, in April, there will be um, a major exhibition of the Chinese artist Xu Bing, one of the most creative users of traditional Chinese characters to actually produce modern art. And there'll be a whole variety of activities surrounding that. But also, from rather further back, Many of you will be aware that a recent discovery in the stacks of the Bodleian Library was the Selden map, a Ming Dynasty 17th century map in which it became clear that trading routes around China had been mapped and known by one of China's great commercial dynasties in a way that people hadn't previously suspected until this unexpected discovery came to light in our own stacks. And the fact that this map is going to be taken, in fact, to the National Library of China in Beijing uh, in spring also is a sign of how, again, Oxford has not only preserved a piece of China's cultural heritage, but is taking it to China to become part of a wider, not just Chinese, but global conversation about how that heritage relates to China's position in the past as well as in the present. In other words, Oxford is becoming more central to a world in which we in the West and the more privileged parts of the world no longer simply do things to places, look at them, examine them, dig them up, put them under a microscope, but rather do things with those places. And that's one of the reasons why next year, in about uh, June, July, we hope, of 2014, the University China Centre will open as a new building. Um, Ed Herzig mentioned that brief uh, briefly, thanks in large part to a generous donation from uh, the philanthropist Dixon Poon, um, a Dixon Poon building in which the University of Oxford China Centre will be set up, will become the major hub, certainly not just in Oxford, not even just in the UK, but I would say within Europe, for several enterprises. One, of course, is the extending and deepening of the study of China within this university, a very, very important enterprise. Also a way to try and engage with the study of China in departments of the university which haven't previously done that, but also within the UK as a whole. 
but also to act as a bridge and a hub between what we do here and what goes on in China. And at a time when China, as a rising power, a richer power, and one that, as it finds prosperity in the present, is turning once more to its past, at this particular moment, clearly having a centre of that sort which looks outward as well as inward is an ever more essential um, uh, piece of, uh, of uh, intellectual equipment. That's particularly the case because this seminar is based on the idea of challenges. And I think there is one very particular one, which with colleagues and friends here today, we might discuss a little bit in the discussion session, which is how to make this conversation more than two-way, to make it multidimensional. We talked about the one-way element in which perhaps we would go and dig up something in, in China and uh, in the rather more distant parts of the, of the past, perhaps bring it back with or without permission. That has moved, thankfully, I think, to a two-way conversation in which we're talking to each other. But what about the emergence of a conversation between the various other cultures. In other words, where is the India-China conversation? We know that it existed over the centuries for a very long time. We had, I think, at least two demonstrations there of how that was the case. I think anyone who knows anything about geopolitics will know that that conversation has not been lively for the last 30 or 40 years. But in the global situation we are now, I wouldn't bet much money on Delhi and Beijing not having an awful lot to say to each other about culture as much as they might do about uh, geopolitics or about business. I think it is essential for Oxford to be part of that conversation. At the moment, it is still possibly easier for colleagues from Delhi, from Beijing, from these different parts of the world to congregate somewhere like Oxford that has become neutral ground in the best sense of that word. Not neutral in the sense of uninterested, but neutral in the sense of objective and able to bring together the different parts of what we're doing. So I'm very pleased that a great deal of what we're doing in the China Centre will, I hope, be noticed in Oxford. I'm even more pleased, in one sense, that it's being noticed in Chongqing or Shanghai or Beijing. But I will be even more pleased if by the time the centre is established and fully running, it is also taking part in a global and cosmopolitan conversation in which actually it doesn't necessarily matter so much physically where that conversation about our collective pasts is being held because it's all part of one wider conversation that speaks as much about our present and about our future. And at that point, I think Ed will leave that there so we can start some discussion.